All right, y'all. So, hey, if you have your Version Bibles, man, it's so weird standing here. I feel like um, I need to be with you. Um, if you have your, that's a little high. If you have your Version Bibles, if you want to open that up, feel free. Um, if you don't, you'll need a Bible this morning because we're going to have some, uh, we're going to have some text we're going to look at together. We're going to really kind of sweep through some Bible verses. Um, today launches the beginning in the Christian calendar. Today launches the beginning of a season called ordinary time. And when we hear the word ordinary, it, it's, it's, it brings up like nondescript or dull or mundane. Um, usually are the words that come to mind. But what ordinary really means is just orderly or customary. So in the Christian calendar, what ends up happening is ordinary time is the longest season of the calendar year for Christians. And it's a time where we deepen our prayer life. It's a time where we sweep through the book of Acts, where we sweep through some of the epistles, where we really study the story of the church and we receive and we participate in the story of the church, which is where we actively pursue ways to participate in God's mission by attending to the people you encounter in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces. And in ordinary time, there's only a few Sundays that are dedicated toward higher biblical doctrines. And one of those Sundays is today. Today is Trinity Sunday. And we honor this Sunday every year, which is around this time of year. So Sunday always follows Pentecost. And it gives me a chance to talk about the Trinity. And it gives you and I a chance to think about the Trinity. Um, so since we're small, um, when, you, when you hear the word Trinity, what comes to mind? Yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, if that's how we kind of raised up in that Holy Ghost language, right? Our Holy Spirit. What else comes to mind? What else comes, like, what, what, what image, that, uh, image comes to mind when you think of Trinity? What words and image? I'm sorry? Yeah, three parts. Yeah. Does mystery come to mind? Confusion come to mind? I had a professor say one time that trying to understand the Trinity is like playing Beethoven on a harmonica. You can only get so far. You can catch, catch hints of it, but you're not going to catch what Beethoven had in mind. So here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to think about what we think of when we say the word God. The word God has become this sort of rather meaningless uh, word in our society where you walk into any room and you hear somebody say, I believe in God. It's almost like we have to ask, give me a de- like what kind of God or what God are you talking about? Because God in the Bible is actually not God's name. We know that, right? It just means deity. And then God reveals God's self to us in various names. Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Yahweh Rafi, all of these different names. And then we know in the biblical story, God reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus. And so Paul said that if you want to know what God looks like, then you look at Jesus. And a lot of times what we do when we think about God is we start off with attributes. What are some of the attributes of God? Holy. What else? There's like 15 of us. Somebody say something. Just Okay, forgiving. What else? Patience. Kindness. Merciful. Powerful. Love. Actually, actually, one of the only times, Janet, in all of Scripture where God is attributed as his attribute, where God is stated as his attribute, is in John where it says God is love. It just, it, when it says God is holy, it means God has holiness. But when John writes that, he's saying, if you want to know what love looks like, you look at God. It's a significant piece. Before God is anything, God is love. 
Yeah, so those, and that's usually, so what we do is we piecemeal God together. Now, what would happen if you did that to one another? What would happen if you, uh, I don't know, who can I, I mean, there's so many people to pick on. It's been so long since I've seen Rusty and Carolyn. I want to I pick on them, but it's been too long since I've seen them. I know Carolyn's like, bring it, man. Um, but it's usually like if you described a friend, let's say you described um, Stephen. You'd be like, Stephen is tall. Stephen is a doctor of physical therapy. He loves it when you call him Dr. Barrett. He hates it, actually. Like, you would get pieces of him. He's married to Mabel. He has three kids. His kids are much cuter than him. Like, all of these different attributes. Like, we could talk. He's nice. He's kind. He's, he knows that he loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. They're fine, right? Like, you piecemeal it together. You can piecemeal it, and you can know a little bit about him. But the only real way to know Stephen is to what? It's to meet him. It's to be with him, to spend time with him. You can study about him. If you met Stephen and we said, Stephen is a shepherd here, and we gave you a manual on Stephen's life, right? We said, here's the book of Stephen. This will describe all of Stephen's story and where he's come from. You can know things, but you won't know him. And what I believe is that the Trinity is something that can be known to a degree, but must be known in experience. And if the one thing that Scripture teaches us about the Trinity is that the Trinity wants to be known through experience because of the nature of who God is. So the triune God, everybody say triune God. So when I use the language triune, that's a shortcut word for three in one. The three in one God. The triune God. Now what I'm not going to do is get into the particulars of God is the Father, who is the Son, who is the Spirit, but the Spirit is not the Son, and the Spirit is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit, but God is the Spirit, Son, and Father. See, so like, that's how, that's how it works, right? Um, but I want to at least give you this. A lot of times what happens is we have these views of God, so we have this hypervigilant God. So when we talk about God, a lot of times many of us think of a hypervigilant God, a God who is, like, seriously on top of everything we do, and everything that happens in our life is of God. Right, it's where we get the language of everything happens for a purpose. Our, um, everything is predestined and preordained, uh, foreordained and all these different big words. And we think about this God who is all-present, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing. And we associate that belief of God with this hyper-vigilant God, this God who is in charge of everything and everything that happens happens for a reason. And, and that's where we go with it. And then when we hit tragedy, when hard things happen, we really struggle with that kind of God. And then we have this kind of what I call this uninvolved God. We swing to another extreme, and we're like, well, God, God made all things but free will, and we get to do kind of what we do, and God will sort it out, uh, maybe. Uh, and so we have this kind of uninvolved God that God's in charge of the world, but he's just kind of overseeing it, and we kind of have full reign until then. That's a view. There's a view in Christianity for both of those gods. Then there's, of course, this pushover God, right? This God who just is love and doesn't really matter what we do because he loves us. Which is, you know, true. Like, like, but, but, but we can do whatever we want to do because he loves us and he forgives us and he's merciful to us. And then, of course, we have this God who is this anything goes kind of God. Where God literally is indifferent. And the reality of all of these views is that all of these views carry some truth of God. But they're like caricatures of God. Now, what's unique about a character? Have you ever had your picture drawn in a caricature? What, what's, what's unique about it? Like, what makes a caricature a caricature? For those who've had your picture drawn on one. It's exaggerated. Are there elements of truth? Yeah, there's like little elements of truth. But the details are so distorted that it's no longer the real thing. 
I'll never forget my dad, when we used to live in Panama City, my dad has two brothers, and they went, Panama City, they're always doing caricatures. And so my dad and his two brothers got, <laughs> this is going to be not funny to you, but it's funny to me because I can see it. But my dad is the oldest brother, um, and the caricature was drawn in such a way that my dad, this was like in the, in the 90s, in the late 80s, my dad was wearing like seriously cut off shorts in the caricature um, with a midriff shirt. And his brothers were like dressed like, you know, like average dudes. But my dad was dressed like, <laughs> like Daisy Duke from, from Duke's Eyes. And I'll never forget it because my dad had this face like, like in the caricature. And I remember thinking that's what my dad would look like if he wore short shorts, kind of. Because that's, because it was similar. Like it was similar, but it really wasn't my dad. Um, caricatures can carry some elements of truth. But the details are so combined and distorted that it's no longer the real thing. So when we talk about God, one nation under God, when we talk about I believe in God, then we have to ask what we mean. Because it doesn't necessarily mean we're talking about the God of the Christian faith. So real quick, nerd point. Got to have a nerd point here. Question, is the word Trinity in the Bible? No. Let me help you. No. I just wanted to save somebody going, yeah, yeah, it is. No, no, it's not. Trinity is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical word. The teaching, the concept, yes. The word itself, no. There was this guy, this African theologian named Tertullian. And Tertullian was trying to figure out how to talk about God because then everybody was talking about how God, like the Son was like, uh, could be like literally the Son of God and the Spirit could be literally a third completely created person. There were, these were the debates in the early church because they didn't have the Bible. And so Tertullian was really fed up in about the second century trying to figure out how do we talk about the Christian God? Um, how one God and three persons, one God and three persons, three individual persons, no, one God and three persons. So he came up with this word Trinity. And Trinity was this word that helped the Christian church, the early church, understand that the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and at the same time, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. God is of one substance or essence, but God is in three persons, and that's the confusion. And the early church needed this word. We're so far removed from this, but in some ways we're not. So let me ask you something. When you think of God, when you hear the word God, and when you say God, what do you, and I'm not asking you to ask, uh, answer publicly, but what do you mean? Do we really mean God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? Or do we just mean an all-powerful created being in sort of an abstract idea? So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 28. I want to look at the scriptures and look at what they say about all of this. Matthew 28, verse 19. I want to sit together with the scriptures that the church leaders like Tertullian sat with and reflected on that helped them understand God as Trinity or God as triune. Because the church had to put this together. Because there isn't just a teaching here. So this is important. I think this is important to our faith. Matthew 28, verse 19. Okay, I'm just going to, we're going to proof text a lot here, so beware. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, say it with me, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the first Trinity texts that we have in our tradition. The early church would have read this and been like, whoa. Like, of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? We're baptized into the life of the triune God by the authority of the triune God. And the name of means authority of. We are welcomed into the life of the triune God to share in the fullness of God's life. 
by the authority of God. Hospitality is central to God's triune being. God wants us and everyone we meet to share in God's life. Now, have you really thought about that? Have you thought about what it means to share in God's life? That God isn't waiting for people to come to God, but that God is coming to people, and that God is extending hospitality into God's life. Not to go to heaven when we die, but into God's life. Do we get that? Like, we think about Christianity, we, go, we get to go to heaven when we die, get our sins forgiven. Those are benefits. Those are benefits. Those are outcomes. But our baptisms, to be baptized into the triune life of God, is to be, as Peter would say, a, par- a partaker, to partake in the divine nature of God. That means you and I have authority that comes from the triune God. Do we wield it? Do we know what it means? Do we get to participate in the life of God? Now let me pause for a minute. You can be in a relationship and not participate in the relationship fully. How? How can you be in a relationship and not participate in the relationship in a full way? How? Let's talk it through logically. So I am in a relationship with my son. Am I participating in that relationship right now? No, he's not with me. But am I still his dad? Is he still my son? Is there still love? But am I actively enjoying the benefits of being Ian's dad? Not in some ways. But when I sit with Ian, when I play with Ian, when I listen to his stories, when I hear him dream about what he wants to be when he grows up, when I joke with him, when I when I wrestle with him, when I snuggle him, when I hear him shout that he just, you know, won a 2K21 game on his Xbox and he wants to tell me about the team he just built. That's an active participation in the life with Ian. Everywhere I go, I'm still Ian's dad. But I'm not actively participating in that experience until I take time to be with Ian. Now, here's the thing. I could be with Ian... I could be sitting on the couch with Ian. But if I'm this, and I have been this, and I sometimes am this, and he's sitting with me on his iPad, and I'm sitting with him on my phone, we're in one another's presence, but am I fully present? See, that's what this text is trying to get at. We're in relationship with God. You're God's kid wherever you go. The question is, are you actively participating in the life of God? Is prayer an afterthought? Scripture reading an afterthought? Is acknowledging the presence of God an afterthought? You are baptized into the life of God. And being aware of the presence of God in your life can change everything. 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 13. 2 Corinthians 13. In the closing words of the second letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul offers a triune blessing. Listen to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord, the power, the unearned favor of Jesus, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Now, why didn't Paul just say, God bless you? Why do you think Paul felt like he needed to itemize? 
Why do you think? He could have just said, God bless you. I think Paul wants us to understand there's a depth to God. That this part of being in fellowship of the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship, the word fellowship, what's the Greek word? Anybody know? Koina, koinonia. Yeah, good, good. Koinonia. That's the Greek word we talk about all the time. So the Greek word is koinonia. Koinonia is what's translated fellowship. What's, what's the ways to think about that? The word koinonia, which is translated fellowship, literally means an intimate partnership. Everybody say intimate partnership. Now, what have we done with the word fellowship? Yeah, we're taking it out of it like, we have fellowship halls, right? Let's have some fellowship. Let's have some intimate part. Like if we translated it, we would not say that word, would we? We'd be like, hey, I want to get together and have some intimate partnership. Y'all want to go to the intimate partnership hall? Like, like, like if, you, if you broke it out, we'd be like, I think I'll pass, right? Like, I think, I think I'll just hang out with my friends. Fellowship is intimate partnership. That's what the language means. It is an intimate partnership. It is translated in other ways as a common life. That the life Zach's, that Zach is organizing his life around is the life that I'm organizing my life around because at the center of that life, because we're in fellowship by the Holy Spirit, is the triune God. Which means then there's an intimate partnership between us because there's an intimate partnership with God. You are in intimate partnership with God. Have you ever thought about that? That God is in intimate partnership with you. That is why there is nowhere you can walk where God is not. There is nowhere you and I can be where God is not present. No matter how dark, no matter how hard, no matter how alone, no matter how off we feel, there is no place you can be where God is not present. Why? Because you are in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There is an intimate partnership that has rewired and rebirthed your very soul to be intertwined forever with the soul of God. Think about that. Just like let that wash over you. That can change things. Because if I start living life that way, then what happens to sin in my life? There may be some I let go. Right, I might start really letting go of some of the things I struggle with in my life. The things that I want to say and think about that person. Start thinking this through a little bit differently. Because I'm in, I'm in intimate partnership with God. And then when John comes into fellowship by the Holy Spirit, I come into fellowship by the Holy Spirit, we both then become intimate partners in the purposes of God. That's where the common life comes in. That's why being a part of a church is more than a Sunday gathering. That's why being a part of a church is about sunshine ministry. That's why being a part of the church is about the vulnerable. That's why being a part of the church is about listening to one another and suffering with one another and celebrating with one another because it is a common life that holds us together. We experience a common life with God and with all who share in the life of God. So let me ask you something. So here's the thing about churches. So when you leave today, when you all, when we all leave the church building, has our partnership with each other changed? Whether you like it or not, you are in partnership, intimate partnership with God, therefore, intimate partnership with everybody in this room, whether you know them or not. And then we come together as a church, and we learn what that means through prayers and confessions and worship and table. We learn what that means together through service together, sharing in the mission of God together. We are intimately partnered with God and with one another, and the church becomes the school by which we learn how to do that. That's different than coming and getting a song and a sermon. It's bigger than that. I think we want it bigger than that. Because when we think that church is about coming to get a song and a sermon, we might as well just treat God as a dispenser machine. 
that we come to God and get God and get a little bit of God and feel good about God and have God and then kind of go on about our days and then come back to God when we need God. It's like what I've always said, like everybody's a Christian when the plane's going down. When the plane's at cruising altitude, the question is, do we recognize that we are in intimate partnership with God? You are a participant in the divine, in the divine triune life of God. That's why you can't die. Y'all know that, right? That's why we, we can't die. That's why Jesus said, he who believes in me will never what? Yeah, he said never die. What Jesus meant was, your body will shed, but who you are lives on. We pass from life to life. Why? Because of the triune God. We share in the life of God. And once you're sharing in the life of God, you share in the life of God. I think we have God. 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 13 to 14. Paul writes this to the churches living in Thessaloniki. Verse 13. But we always must thank God for you, brothers and sisters, who are loved by God. This is because he chose you. By the way, when he says you, who is he talking to? Is he talking to a person or a people? He's talking to a people. So you might want to translate it y'all. I'm serious, like, like, because this isn't written to a person. It's important. This is important because I know we want like the whole Jesus for me thing. And he is for you, you alone. But not you alone, not you, you, not you only, right? Like, there's a we-ness to the Bible, always. Okay, always. So when we see the word you, you might as well just always read it y'all. This is because he chose y'all from the beginning to be the first crop of the harvest. This brought salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. So we are chosen by God, loved by God, to be sanctified by the Spirit through your belief in the truth. God called all of you through the gospel so you could possess the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. The honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Like, what would that mean? So we, can, so we can possess, possess, hold, own the honor of Jesus. The honor of Jesus. So sanctification is the big Bible word. Look at it again, if you will, through sanctification by the Spirit. Sanctification is the big Bible word that describes the process of holiness. It's the process of, of, of learning what it means to grow in our capacity and ability to love. It's the process. It's the ongoing experience of liberation. In other words, we are justified and then we are sanctified. That's the $10 words. Anybody ever heard the word justified? Raise your hand if you have. Raise your hand. If you have heard the word sanctified, Okay, those are $10 words. Sanctified means you are in the process. If you are submitting to the Spirit, if I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit of God, if I'm actively attentive of the presence of God in my life, then that changes me day by day, day by day, moment by moment. And the liberation that I long for, that God has already secured to us for the bloodstream cross and the empty tomb, the liberation that we have from the fears of death, from the anxieties of not enough, from the betrayals and from the injustices, from the things that weigh us down, the liberation we long for has been gifted to us. But it must be lived within. If I gave you $20, Collins, and said this $20 is yours and you put it in your pocket, are you benefiting from the, from the blessing of $20? But you got $20, right? Like you're $20 richer. It's your 20. When do you benefit from the blessing of the 20? When you started spending it. We're liberated. We don't experience the blessing of liberation until we learn how to live it. 
That's an ongoing relationship. Now, here's the thing. We can't learn how to live it alone. Why? Back up. Let's, let's do some math, and we're going to close it up. Why? Why can we not just learn how to live it on our own? Why? What have we said so far? Begins with a so word, begins with an F, ends with a P. We are in a... Okay. <laughs> Ariel said family. Family yep. Family yep. Um, a, a fa- family works. A fellowship. You're not meant to experience liberation alone. So if I need patience, if the God's Holy Spirit wants to produce, since Zach said patience, I'll use Zach. If God wants to produce patience in Zach's life, Zach's not going to experience patience in his life just by sitting and praying and reading the Bible and going to worship and worshiping songs and then leaving when it's over and then coming back. The only way Zach's going to experience true patience in his life is when Zach is in an intimate partnership with the people of God and some of those people test his patience. And then the Holy Spirit has to produce patience in Zach. The church is the school of liberation. The church is where we learn to live free. The people of God. That's why we need each other. The Holy Spirit in Christian community works among us, between us, and within us to change us. And that is why Romans 14, if you have your Bibles, Romans 14, verse 17 through 18, that is why Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Now there's a context there. But justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable by God and approved by others. The kingdom of God is about justice, peace, and joy. These are the marks of God's people. A belief that God is righting the wrongs of sin and death. A belief that human flourishing is available for all people. A belief that we can be satisfied, that's joy, satisfied in the goodness of God, that we have enough. In a society where where there are wrongs, in a society where people are excluded, in a society where there's never enough, The kingdom of God is supposed to be a people who believe that because of God and the fellowship of the Spirit through the bloodstained cross and risenness of Jesus, we know that God is setting right what's been made wrong in the world. We know that he will. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We know that human flourishing is possible for all people. All people can be loved and know love and grow. And we know that we have all we need. We can find joy, satisfaction. We don't have to strain and struggle for enough. Why? Because Stephen is in partnership with me. He's in intimate partnership with me. He is my brother. And when I lack, Stephen provides. When Ariel lacks, Ethan provides. That's the church. Now, why does this matter? Because think of the triune God. Okay, sum it up. Think of the triune God. God is in God's self, eternal community. You ever thought about that? That God in God's self is eternal community. God the Father, Son, and Spirit is in himself. The very being of God is a communal God. Three in one. Triune God. We are meant for relationship. We are hardwired for it. And we're not meant to live life alone. And I think there's a reason why the scriptures talk about people get married to become one. So when you get married, you're no longer the community anymore. You're one, and you need still community. We are meant to be in community. God and God's self is eternal community because God and God's self is eternal communion. The Father sends the Son, right? And the Son sends who? The Spirit. To bear witness to who? The Son who comes out of the love of the 
Father. You see how that works? God is eternal communion, eternal communion, community, and has very specific roles within God's self to bring about God's purposes in the world. And when you come into life with God and I come into life with God, we become participants of eternal communion. That is why he who believes in me shall never die, Jesus says. We become a part of eternal community. That's why it says in Ephesians, look at it if you will, last text, Ephesians. For through Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, for through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's what? Household. That's family language. Built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. That's why the reality is online church isn't going to work. That's why podcasts don't work. You can get a little bit about God and you can live life with God, but you can't get the fullness of life with God until you what? Come into a community of God. Are y'all with me? Why is that? What's the answer? The triune God. That's the answer. Because God is within God's self, eternal communion, we need communion with God and with one another. Because God within God's self is eternal community, we share in the life of God in its most fullness when we do life in community. And because God within God's self is eternal, what I call diverse participation, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, the Spirit bears witness to the Son who bears witness to the love of the Father. Because God is at work within the world to bring the world into life with God, to bear witness to His kingdom, to make the rule and the reign of God present to all of us, because God has a purpose to play, you and I each have a purpose to play. You can't be a part of the family and God and not do something. Now, let me ask you a question really quick. Come on. Engage me here, and then we're going we're gonna to celebrate Eucharist. How does this change church? How does triune God change church? Now. How does Trinity change church? If God is eternal communion, eternal community, and eternal participation, and I take life with God within family and have a role to play, how does it change my view of church? Can I just sit on the sidelines now? No, because you have a role to play. Like, we don't do families that way. You're in the family. You have something to do. You have gifts to give. We have to be, we can be blessed by you. So if you feel like you have nothing to give, the Trinity says otherwise. See how that works? If you feel like God is absent, guess what? The Trinity says otherwise. You see how that works? You are never absent from God. Because God is never absent from you. Because you're in fellowship by the Spirit. That's an intimate partnership. If you think about this, it changes everything. So this real high, mysterious doctrine of the Trinity, in my opinion, if we think about it, becomes one of the most practical things in the Christian faith. It becomes the explanation of everything, which is why Paul would say, 
that God looks like Jesus. If you want to know the fullness of God's life, you look at Jesus. Did Jesus do life alone? No. Did Jesus sit on the sidelines and just preach and do worship music? No. He healed the broken and went to the margins. Told truth to power. Did Jesus not pray? No, he prayed intimately. Did Jesus preach? Yes. Did he bear witness? Yes. When we look, if you want to look at the triune God looks like in its fullness, you can look at the actual person of Jesus and say what Jesus did is what God wants and what God does and what God did and is what I am to participate in with God. You have life with God. That will never change. But you can't do life alone. That also will never change. We need the community of God's people.